was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi, my name is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so glad to announce my episode with legendary stage and screen comedian Joanne Worley. Joanne is perhaps most famous for her TV role in Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, but she was also seen on screen in Love American Style, Beauty and the Beast, The Feminist and the Fuzz, and more. On Broadway, she stood by for Carol Channing in the original production of Hello, Dolly, as well as starring in Grease, The Prince of Central Park, The Billy Barnes People, and most recently, The Drowsy Chaperone. On tour, Joanne tackled roles in Carnival, The Female Odd Couple with Sandy Dennis, Annie, The Pirates of Penzance, and much more. So now, without further ado, the great Joanne Worley. So I would love to um, start by asking you how you first became interested in performing. Well, uh, I um, realized that I could make people laugh. I happened to be born and raised on a farm, and I went to a two-room schoolhouse. You know, the first four grades in one room with one teacher and the upper grades in another room with one teacher. And uh, the teacher was a man who, and back then, if, uh, you know, the boys were acting up, he would take them out back and give them a whooping. And I remember one of the eighth grade boys was acting up, and the teacher said, don't you get smart with me, which meant he would take him out back and give him a whooping. So I raised my hand. I was a lowly fifth grader, and I, the teacher said, yes. And I said, isn't that why we come to school, to get smart? And everybody laughed. And he didn't get a beating. And I realized that uh, laughter is pretty powerful, and that's what I uh, enjoy doing. And, and when I was in high school, I was, uh, as a freshman, I was voted school comedian, so you knew I was continuing trying to make people laugh. And that automatically uh, led me to performing. And uh, when I got out of high school, I went away to Summerstock as an apprentice, and uh I got the apprentice scholarship to return the next year and get paid and got a drama scholarship to a college. And all that it came uh, it, out of my desire to make people laugh, yeah. to entertain. And how did your uh, parents feel about your choice of career? Uh, they didn't care one way or the other. <laughs> they had four other children. Oh. So there were a lot of, uh, you know, kids to take care of. And I uh, was a, a middle child, and I, I worked when I was in high school, so I had my own uh, money to buy my way to the uh, apprenticeship, which was in New York City, outside New York, Nyack, New York. Uh, it was called Pickwick Players. And so I had my own money. I didn't have to ask their permission. Yeah. I just did it. I left and did it. <laughs> and at this time, were you singing as well or mainly 
a comedian? Uh, I was, I was not really singing. I sang like in the uh, mixed chorus in high school and stuff like that. And uh, the church I grew up in, evidently I was always loud when the, we would be singing the hymns. My sister next to me would say, is that you singing? And from then on, I just mouthed the words. I didn't because evidently I was too loud. So I didn't sing until I was cast in a musical role. And were there any performers you saw who either you admired or inspired you or anything like that? Yes, um, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin were the comedy duo of the time while I was in uh, high school. And I really, uh, you know, loved the way Jerry Lewis could make people laugh. And it was the thrill of my life when I eventually, um, he had something at Paramount when I came to California, Paramount Studios. He had an, um, a class of people that he was grooming to be in, in his movies, and they auditioned literally thousands of people, and I was one of the ones chosen for that class. And I eventually did do the Jerry Lewis uh, uh, television special with him and did sketches and everything, and it was wonderful. Oh, yes, yes. And what was your um, experience like at college studying? What was my experience in college? Well, I learned that uh, we not only learn things that we know we're going to use, we would learn things that we uh, that were just good for us, like fencing and ballet and things that I... I, I, I did use uh, the fencing, though, when I did Moon Over Buffalo. There is a oh. fencing scene in that. So, uh, and, and ballet comes in handy a lot on when we did laughing. Uh, Rona Martin's laughing, quite often we would do uh, takeoffs on ballet. So it was all, all used. And I found that uh, it was an invaluable, like being an apprentice in Summerstock was an invaluable experience. So was, you know, studying my major, of course, was drama. Yes. Because they don't teach comedy in college. <laughs> Maybe they do now. Maybe they do now. And who were some of the teachers or mentors who meant the most to you? Well, when I eventually was cast in uh, a musical, uh, The Mikado, and I, uh, someone in the chorus said, Joanne, you should be going to my singing teacher. And uh, I was just, they cast me because I was funny and I could do Catashaw and be funny. And uh, so I started going to uh, Dr. Long, what's her name, Vivian Long, and she was a, she taught Bel Canto, and she had been an uh, opera singer in um, Italy and uh, was a fine, fine teacher. And she became almost like a, a mentor, a second mother, um, because she also uh, made up horoscopes of her students, and so if I was dating somebody, I would quick take his date of birth to her and say, is this the one, is this the one? And she would say, well, maybe not the greatest romance, and Samson and Delilah, but uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, she was a wonderful, wonderful friend. Oh, yes, yes. And when did you move to New York? Uh, a move is... Uh, not the, quite the word. When I left Indiana, I went to Summerstock in Nyack, New York. And, of course, we, we the 
theater was in a barn and we lived in another barn, that kind of thing. That, but from there, I went to college in Texas, so I didn't get back to Indiana. And then I did go back, uh, I believe that Christmas, uh, another mentor, Lauren Orr, was the, the teacher at the college in Texas, and he had been the technical director at the uh, um, Pickwick Players, and he was responsible for getting me the drama scholarship. He said because I was uh, I was a good worker, <laughs> it needed to be repaid. So that's how I got the drama scholarship. But I didn't move to New York. I went from Texas. My, one of my sisters lived in Los Angeles, so I came to Los Angeles to continue going to school, and that's when I started being cast in stage shows like Catashaw and the Mikado, which I just mentioned, and Ruth and Wonderful Town. There was a wonderful uh, experiences. Oh. Rick Davis run, ran that uh, theater. It was called the Music Box Theater, and um, because of that, I got a show that went to Broadway, and that's when I moved to Broadway. With the, it was called the Billy Barnes Review. And uh, Billy Barnes, by the way, if you ever see any of the Rona Martin laughing, if you ever see a man at the piano, that's Billy Barnes. Oh. And he was the, the music uh, special material writer on laughing. But we have a long history. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing around my neck now a good, lick, good luck symbol that was given to me on opening night on Broadway for, uh, it's a Tiffany medal, that means good luck and good fortune and all that, and I have worn it ever since then, uh, and it's brought me good luck, by the way. Um, the show uh, opened on a night that there was an electrical blackout on Broadway, and all the lights were out, and I, Camelot was playing across the street. And the show uh, technicians borrowed a spotlight from Camelot and took it across the street to our theater, and we did the show in just a spotlight. And uh, consequently, at that time, there was uh, any show that, other than one that originated in New York and on Broadway, didn't have much of a chance. And coming from California, we didn't have a chance, but I knew... When I went to New York, I took all my stuff. I intended to just stay, and I did. Oh. And, and I got um, an apartment and uh, an agent from uh, that uh, the Billy Barnes show. And uh, I started working and got tours and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Th that's when I moved to New York. It wasn't uh, when I did summer stock as an apprentice. Does that answer your question? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, it does. And around this time when you were in Wonderful Town and those shows, did you have uh, screen acting in mind as well, or did that not come till later? That came later. Uh, uh, it was, uh, I knew that I knew how to act and project and all that stuff on stage, and I just went where the opportunities were, where the doors opened. Yeah. And when the doors opened to go to New York, I knew I wanted to stay there. And as a matter of fact, in New York is where I started doing television, the Merv Griffin show. I was on there a lot of times as a, yeah. um, one of Merv's discoveries. And uh, then eventually, if you're offered a part, 
you uh, you do it. And when you were starting out, did auditioning come easily to you? Were you getting a lot right away? Say, yeah. 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 And what was your audition song? Mm. Um, it usually is one that if, like I did uh, Once Upon a Mat just several times, and Shy is a good song for me, oh. and I use that quite often in uh, auditions. Or uh, I would... Um, I found, and what I do in my nightclub act, is I take a song and, for some reason, make it funny. I'll do a, almost a parody of the song or a, a, a switch on it. Like, um, I do Till There Was You from The Music Man. Oh, yeah. Only I do it uh, as though I was taught it to by a, a dialect teacher who happened to be from Brooklyn. So I sing Till There Was You's. Whenever that phrase comes up, and so I'd love to ask you about uh, the Billy Barnes people, your first Broadway show, and what did you sort of learn from that experience of making your Broadway debut? Um, that Sardi's is a wonderful place to have an opening night party, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I, I learned that, uh, like I said, the, the lights were out on Broadway. There was some electricity failure with the lights and that either you just persevere, you keep going, you do what you have to do to, to do it. And all of us were from California, so we couldn't put off the opening, right? Yeah. We had to uh, persevere. And as I said, we got the spotlight from Camelot and did the show with just one spotlight. And um, why do you think that the show wasn't as successful? Do you think it was just because of coming from oh, California? Oh, okay. Well, well, well that's uh, not a good idea to do a show with just one spotlight when there was <laughs> well, <yeah>. a cast of <laughs> like uh, eight people. And <clears throat> that was a, a disadvantage. We also, there was, it was very hot and the, the air conditioning also was not on. As a matter oh. of fact, I believe there was an announcement made for the gentlemen to remove their, then people wore, you know, jackets and ties to the theater, uh, for the gentlemen to remove their coats. And uh, that was against us, the heat and the, um, the lateness of starting. We did, couldn't start on time because we had to get the spotlight and get everything in order. And then uh, the other thing that I touched on lightly before, that there was... I'm not going to say jealousy of a show that would come in from Los Angeles to Broadway, but there was, they were not encouraged. And now it's a different story. But back then it was, uh, if it came in other than the, the Broadway route, uh, it was not usually accepted. Uh, everybody, the reviews were, were fabulous for me. Um, I, I had to, I can't think of the Clive Barnes. I think did two paragraphs on my mouth. <laughs> so, and it did. It did say uh, everybody else can go back to California except Joanne Worley and Ken Berry. Oh, wow! Yeah, they let us. You can stay in New York. <laughs> and what was the show itself like, or about? Since there is no CD of it. Oh, it was a musical review which is sketches and um, music, uh, some serious music and sketches. And I did a thing 
where I did a takeoff on a a stripper, like between some numbers. Then I would go with different lyrics each time, little singing little couplets and pretending. Not a good stripper, as you might well imagine. Uh, things would keep falling off of me. Yeah. And uh, the sketches were, um, <clears throat> there was this one song called, um, that Billy Barnes wrote, but not too long at the fair was in his other uh, review. Um, but Ken Berry, as you probably know, is a, was a fabulous singer and dancer in the Fred Astaire vein. So he was very talented. And, uh, um, Billy Barnes was, uh, there was a song called Tyler, My Boy. Now, that was in the first review, too. A musical review with sketches and m music. And like you would see on a variety show on television. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think it was about that format that came so naturally to you? Um, it was why it was easy for me yeah. to do that. Because uh, on television back then, they had many more... Uh, variety shows. Okay. So I was used to seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did the um, tour of Carnival happen for you, which I believe was one of the next things? Yes. Uh -huh. uh, I, when Hello Dolly opened on Broadway, <clears throat> uh, that was Gower Champion, right? Yeah. Who also did uh, Carnival. And uh, I remember auditioning on, on the stage of the Imperial. I had just bought a yellow knit dress, yellow wool knit dress uh, at Lord & Taylor. And I, it, I felt very confident in that dress, very good. And I, I sang and Gower Champion came up on the stage and said, oh, you're perfect for the role, but I don't know if I'm going to, who I'm going to choose to play opposite you. One is tall which, you know, uh, with hair and heels, I'm quite tall. And the, the other is the shorter. If I cast the tall actor, then you've got the part. He, he cast the shorter one, I still oh. got the part. Oh, and so what did you like or not like about life on the road? Uh, both. Uh, actually, I enjoyed uh, it on uh, life on the road. I am... Um, <clears throat> Uh, you, you're going places, and we, it wasn't a bus and truck, so it would be, um, it was the national company, so we would go and be in some place for several weeks, so you weren't packing your bag all the time. Yes, yeah. And what was your collaboration like with Gower Champion and with David Merrick, who worked on both shows? Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, then, uh, as I started to say, when... Uh, Hello, Dolly opened on Broadway, Carol Channing, who they, she has declared she would never be out of the show, but there's an equity ruling that there had to be somebody to cover her. So I was a standby for Carol Channing when Hello, Dolly opened after uh, the carnival tour ended. And, uh, and I got that simply because David Merrick and Gower Champion already knew me. And uh, I was glad to have that job. A standby doesn't have to be at the theater every night because I was working at Second City when they oh. had a theater show in New York. So I was getting two paychecks. Oh, yes, yes. And 
did you did you ever end up going on, or did she keep her promise? No, 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 oh. no. One time I was in the hallway outside her dressing room, because uh, uh, I guess I was going to be seeing the show, and uh, I was vocalizing, and Carol came out and said, it's all right, Joanne. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you have to go on, you'll have at least two days' notice, which would mean the president wanted her to entertain at something. But uh, no, she, she was never out, oh. ever. And what was your interpretation of that role like? Because I know you did get to play it later. At oh, yes, so several times. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, when you're a standby or an understudy, you have to serve the show. That means do as close as you can to the performance of the person that you're standing by for because you don't want to throw the other actors. So you have to pretty much, you know, I would not uh, imitate her voice or anything like that, but you, you'd certainly do the same uh Blocking, you try and do the same timing on things so people can time their entrances and exits and, you know, you, you have to serve the piece. So I had to erase all in my brain all those tapes of what I used to do when I was doing my, my productions of uh, Hello, Dolly, and just do my own. And what was your um, relationship like with some of the other cast members, like David Burns and Sandra Lee? And oh yeah, Davy was wonderful. And uh, I, Charles Nelson Riley. That's where I met uh, Charles Nelson oh, Riley. Yeah. And uh, uh, we became very good friends. And when he came to California, we would uh, do game shows, a match game. We did several times, lots of times together, um, and other. Of events and uh, Eileen Brennan, who was in Dolly, obviously uh, was a good, very good friend. Oh. And and what were some of the changes made to that show during the process? Oh, uh, there were changes made to the show. Like uh, there was an, a, a number uh, that was cut because uh, I was out of um, in Washington D.C. with it before it came into. Broadway. So I was there for that uh, part of it. Um, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, and especially if the number's been cut, I make a point of putting it out of my head. <laughs> oh, yeah. And what do you think it was that made that original production so successful? And oh, so well, I think uh, certainly uh, Jerry Herman's music. Yes. Right. And Gower Champion's direction. And Miss Carol Channing, who just, you know, carried it over the, you know, the line over the, the winner circle. And uh, everybody was uh, happy, happy, happy about it. Yeah. And do you prefer doing shows that are lighter like that or with a little bit more serious, like Carnival? Oh, uh, what I did in Carnival was uh, comedy, though. Yeah. <clears throat> I did have a, a ballad, but um, as I said, I like to make people laugh. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Clive Barnes earlier, which brings me to ask you, how do you feel about critics and their role in theater? I love critics. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, they, they serve a, a dual purpose, not only in uh, PR, you know, advertising the product, but also sometimes they're very helpful 
with shows if they, you know, their eye may pick up something that uh, the people in charge of the production maybe are missing and uh, point that out and they can do, you know, get some results. Yeah. So I critics ser serve a very important job, service. And do you find that you usually have a good sense of how a show is going to do? Uh, I, I, I never even thought about that. Oh. If I'm uh, preparing a show, <clears throat> I give it my all, and I'm assuming everybody else is giving it their all. And there's, if it's not good, then so be it. Yeah. Uh, there was one show I was involved in, which is uh, not unusual that I can't think of the name of it right now, but uh, it was not good. In opening night, everything went so wrong. Like sets fell over, a door wouldn't open, you know, all, anything that could go wrong went wrong. And of course, that did not uh, run. And so I'm curious to ask, what do you think is the star quality that you have that has made you so successful? Well, that's very kind of you to say that. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> if anything, I'm going to say it's my desire to make people laugh, to entertain. And so I'd love to ask you next about how you first met Merv Griffin, who you mentioned a little bit earlier. Yes, uh, actually, it was Merv Griffin's wife who saw me in a little nightclub in Greenwich Village doing my, uh, then it was mainly singing act. I wasn't, uh, you know, talking. Well, you know, the little between the songs. But um, she saw me and she recommended me to the show. And obviously then the other people came. And that's how I started doing the Merv Griffin shows. And what was that early um, act early cabaret act like that you had? Yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> would be the, the songs that I, I would take and do something funny with or do. You know, like I said, the Till, till There Was You. <laughs> and I would do what I call one-liner songs. Uh, and I did some of those on Laugh-In, too. Uh, like, when you're down and out, lift up your head and shout, I'm down and out! <laughs> And I would do, a, you know, some of those between longer numbers. And um, what was the sort of scene like of cabaret in those days and in Greenwich Village? Um, okay. Uh, there was a this place in Greenwich Village. People would go there, usually hone their act, you know, develop it or use it as a showcase. And uh, we were paid, not, you know, a lot, but, uh, I don't know, maybe like $5 a night, something like that. And usually it was two shows a night. And uh, people like, um, well, <clears throat> would go there and try out, and we would be each other's uh, audience. I remember Rodney Dangerfield would, uh, was working there uh, on the bill, and... Um, Dick Cavett, and and then people would just go, and I would have my music in my arms, and you would just, then you could walk around <clears throat> late after night even, because yeah. I, I, then I lived down in the village also. 
And is there a moment during these early times in your career that you would identify as sort of your big break? Or If there was a big break, I think my big break was getting out of Indiana. <laughs> oh, yeah. That definitely was my big break. And, uh, and then the rest is a series yeah. of breaks that led to another opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it, but I, I don't think there's, well, uh, oh, a really big break was getting on Rowan and Martin's lap in. That came about because a uh, my agent at the time, uh, and I happened to be, even though I lived in New York, I was in California for probably a show, and I went to the agent's office, and he was on the phone to George Slaughter, the producer of Rowan and Martin's lap in. And he selling another comedian, by the way. And he put me on the phone to George, and uh, we laughed and chatted and talked. And then he said to the agent, I, I want, I'd like to see Joanne tomorrow. I said, okay. And I, of course, did not have a car, and we didn't have Ubers then. But the place where I was uh, staying was in an apartment complex, and I had just done a show in Las Vegas, actually a television show, and uh, the girl who was on it lived in that complex, and she was supposed to see George Slaughter the next day, too. Oh. And I said, oh, can I ride with you? My appointment is around yours. And she said, sure. So we went there together, and my appointment was first. I went in, made George laugh. We laughed, and... Uh, I got the job, and my friend didn't get the job. Oh, yeah. But she did later, a uh, couple years later, and uh, she became a very successful uh, writer also. So, and, and she was on Lappin eventually. Oh. But uh, she did a good deed <laughs> by letting me ride with her. But you, um, before doing Laughing, you did a few other shows, including um, Hotel Passionado with Phil Leeds and Linda Lavin. Correct. And that one didn't make it. Oh, yeah. That was the one that the opening night, everything went wrong. Oh, what did you enjoy about working off-Broadway as opposed to on-Broadway? Um, well, uh, off-Broadway, I did... Uh, something called the mad show yes yes which was the uh, like mad magazine on stage and it was wonderful it was wonderful to do that uh we were i don't know if you've heard of arthur's the discotheque that was very popular back then and everybody and anybody, you know, would go there. It was like right next to Arthur's. Oh. And so we were in the, the thick of things, uh, as opposed to, you know, being off-Broadway. It just wasn't on-Broadway. And uh, Broadway is just uh, bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must know, it's just bigger. And so I'd love to ask you more about The Mag Show, which is a show I love, and... Oh, yeah. What was it like to be, or what was your collaboration like with the other members of the cast, like Linda Lavin and McIntyre Dixon? And yeah, and Paul Sand. And, yeah. uh, very good. Uh, the boys had one dressing room, and the women were all in one other dressing room. So we were very close. And how we did the opening number, the director said to us, I want you to come out and do your version of an 
opening number, but we'll do them all together. So everybody did what they would do for an opening number. And I chose to um, uh, come in through the audience. I guess it was the Mama Rose in me <laughs> that <laughs> suggested that. And I came in through the audience and, you know, had interaction with people in the audience while singing my version of an opening number. And uh, it was just fun. We, we all just had fun. And uh, I love a sketch that uh, Paul San and I did together <clears throat> where we were, uh, the word would be, we're competitive with each other. And I remember I came up with a line that says, everybody on this side of the stage, and I made, drew a line with my hand, on this side of the stage is the winner. Everybody over there is the loser. So it was, you know, and, and we were given freedom to go with our instinct. And Paul San was an improv person also, oh. a second city, as, of course, McIntyre Dixon were. And uh, so a lot of it was tailored specifically for us because that was one of our skill sets. And did you actually improv every night or just sort of help to write No. Oh, no, no. To, I'm oh. sorry if I mis misled you. Oh. No. Uh, when I did Second City, we did uh, improv every night. But, uh, no, the Mad Show was set. Uh, it was set in the rehearsals. And then we would repeat uh, what we had done before. And then, but if something happened, you know, oh. you, you got to save your neck. And that's where it comes in handy, too. Yeah. And there were lots of great writers working on that show, including Mary Rogers and Stephen Sondheim. And did you have interaction with them a lot? Or? Uh, Stephen Sondheim, as a matter of fact, as you know, uh, he wrote the, that number under another name. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and he was a very close friend of Mary Rogers. And so that's how he wrote the boy from Takarimba, Latumba, Duffawego, which was uh, Linda Lavin's song, which she did beautifully. And um, the, the other writers, uh, Stan Hart and Larry Siegel, were Mad Magazine contributors. Oh. Uh -huh. so, so we had the actual Mad Magazine people writing. And but it was all set um, before we opened we just arrived at some of the stuff through improv in rehearsals. And were you yourself a reader of Mad Magazine before doing this? A reader? Absolutely. Oh. As a matter of fact, I'm not on the cover of a Mad Magazine, but I'm on the back of a Mad oh. Magazine. And uh, there was a commercial out called, Should a Gentleman Offer a Lady a Tipperillo? Tipperillos were little cigars. And it's a picture of me with my eyes crossed and this man offering me the Tipperillo and I'm smoking it and I go, yeah, it's just, you know, a funny face, but it is the full back page. <laughs> and what were some of your favorite um, songs to do in the Mad Show? I know you have the funny one about Christmas gifts. and The Gift of Maggie. Um, yes. Instead yeah. of the Gift of the Magi, the Gift of Maggie. Um. As a matter of fact, I, I used one of my own books as a prop for that, oh. and I wrote the um, some of the dialogue that I had to do before the song in that book. And I'm curious, at this time when you were working a lot on Broadway and off, was there ever a role that you turned down? 
I think um, one actually was Sing Muse. Oh, that's right. That's uh, and I turned it down because I was going on the road with Carnival. Oh. I made the choice because I had so many roaches in my apartment. I wanted to get out of New York. <laughs> and Linda Lav, no, was it Linda who did sing? No, Karen Morrow. Yes, yes. Did, did it. Yeah. And we're, we're good friends now. Oh, yeah. We, we were, you know, aware of each other, but uh, we have a ladies' lunch bunch who get together when there's not a pandemic. Oh. Then uh, we try to uh, get lunch once a once a month or so. Oh, that's great. I actually interviewed her for all oh, a few uh -huh. months ago. Yeah. yeah, she's wonderful, isn't she? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so after this was when you started on Laughing. So at this point, did you move to California or? Did yes, I, I was living in New York when uh, I first got it, and then I, I moved to uh, California. And beautiful downtown Burbank. And was. Was doing comedy on screen much the same as doing it on stage, or was there a big adjustment? No. no, Not for me. Uh, and not for the type of stuff that I was doing. Yeah. yeah. It was um, just be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you know that the show would be the sensation that it was? Uh, well, I think it was at the time that a bunch of us by a bunch of us, I mean, like Goldie and Judy and Ruthie and myself, uh, and I'm sure some of the guys, went to the premiere of Yellow Submarine, you know, the Beatles movie. And uh, we were trying to get across the street, and we couldn't even walk across the street. We were mobbed. Oh. And then you go, what? <laughs> because when you're working, uh, you're in a pretty isolated cocoon kind of uh, territory, and you, you go home, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you go to the studio, you do your work, and over again. But when you get out in the world is when you, when we really realized the impact that it was making. And then there was, you know, the fan mail situation. When you start to get fan mail, you go, something's going on here. <laughs> and... What were, I'm, I'm sure there must have been so many, but what were some of your favorite sketches that you did? Okay. Um, I enjoyed doing the joke wall. Because that was, that, that was the last thing that we filmed. Oh. And people would go wild <laughs> by people. I mean, the cast would be, uh, you know, untethered, as they say. <laughs> and that was always fun. And I loved uh, doing my songs at the piano with uh, Billy Barnes playing. And uh, I loved doing uh, when we would do What's the News Across the Nation, all the girls. And we would all be, um, you know, dressed as either Ann Miller or we're all uh, steel workers or whatever it is. And the, the costuming was always fun. Yeah. And... Uh, we would, uh, and there were so many sketches, and quite often they were very short. Oh, so yes. it's not like um, a variety show or the Billy Barnes where the sketches were, you know, long. They would be really short and quick. And how did you sort of find your niche on the show in terms of the specific kind of comedy that you did? 
Well, it has to do with um, what they assign you to do and making it uh, work. And in making it work, you have to use your own instincts and uh, your own uh, set of tools to achieve that. And I think I, I just, again, it gets back to I just was my purpose. I just wanted to make people laugh. Yeah. That's it, and then do the best you can. Oh. And I think that we were all so different, uh, the cast members. You know, yeah. there there wasn't a really a crossover. And who were some of your either favorite or least favorite guest stars to work with? Famously, Richard Nixon, and of course, so many others. We did not work with uh, Mr. Nixon. He was secreted is the word into a studio and that was shot with just uh george slaughter the producer asking nixon the questions and he infamously answered sock it to me <laughs> and but uh, we, we were not around for that oh. no but i loved um oh god <laughs> jack benny oh my god uh, he he was such a team player. He came, he went to the commissary with us all for lunch and everything. He was uh, wonderful, and we there wasn't a lot of um, uh, playing around. Just you know, you're either working on your sketch, they're shooting it, or you're in the the wardrobe, changing your wardrobe or your makeup or something. So we were kept hopping pretty much. Yeah. And you mentioned a little bit before the outfits, which were a lot of great dresses that you got to wear, especially in the opening of the show. And uh -huh. do, you, do you remember any of those that stuck out to you especially? Uh, I have some in my the closet. Are you oh. kidding? <laughs> also, uh, I, I would, uh, and, and the, the other ladies did sometimes too, I would take my own wardrobe and they would, um, like, I had, they have it now. It's a wild pantsuit that they added feathers to, like the, where the wrists and the the ankles around the pants, bottom of the pants, and everything. And it's it's wonderful. Oh, as a matter of fact, I think I gave that to a museum that wanted to have something from Lafayette. And um, sometime, Rudy Gernerich was a big ladies' uh, designer at that time, and uh, I had some Rudy Gernerich. They would be double-knit outfits, and I would wear them sometimes because they were comfortable, and I knew they fit. Um, Travis, was uh, our designer, was very generous with us. He would sometimes, if it was an outfit that particularly suited the person, he would give it to us. And was there a lot of improv involved in laughing as well? Yes, and we were encouraged to either submit material ahead of time, or if we're, say, we're doing a doctor sketch and we're in a hospital situation, after we do the punchline that we're supposed to do, give it a beat, and then if you have something else to add, to go ahead and, uh, you know, tack it on there. And if some, quite often that those would be used. And the show was, of course, very much of its time, but why do you think that it is still a favorite today? Uh, I, it's because it is quick yeah. and fast, 
and uh, it's not a big investment. You know, you're not stuck in a sketch for a long time, whether it's being done well or if it's not funny. It's over in a little bit, and you're on to something else. And it's uh, and the attention span doesn't have to be invested uh, like a lot of other shows and that we all know and love. So I think that's one of the reasons, and and that we were a very uh, varied cast with many different types of people. And so if there's something that doesn't suit your fancy, in a couple minutes there'll be something that might. Yes, yes. And do you ever watch them in reruns, or did you at the time? Uh, I have seen them, because, you know, it's available on DVD. <laughs> And there was VHF uh, tapes available, but tape machines when we were doing laughing were not uh, commonplace. I know Dick Martin had one, and we all went, "Ooh!" <laughs> we were all impressed. Uh, but again, I'm going to say we were busy working, and if we weren't working, uh, we were learning our lines right and uh, preparing for the next day's uh, shoot. So uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, downtime. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was on uh, Monday nights. We could watch it, you know. Oh, yes, yes. And mm -hmm. what was it like to be collaborating with these other sort of great young minds of comedy, like Ruth Bazian, Goldie Hawn? And, and Artie and Henry and, yeah, and Brucey and Judy. Well, it was... Uh, I don't think we thought of it as collaborating. I think we thought of it as playing. We were all playing. And what made you decide to ultimately leave the show in 1970? Okay, it was a decision made with uh, my manager and my agent. And also, uh, after television contracts, after two years. And I was getting lots of offers to do other uh, shows like uh, I, I went to London two or three times to do the Tom Jones uh, oh. show, and uh, and it was we were paid mm, quite a bit less than <laughs> we would get for uh, these other shows. So that's why it was a, and also the we realized that the impact from the show uh, had been made. Yeah. That if I stayed on the show, it would have just you know be be about the same yeah. the impact and so that was the decision made with agents and managers and stuff and do you think that you can still see the effects of laughing on comedy today oh heavens oh. yeah um uh saturday night live uh, yes yeah um the guy who runs it was one of the writers on laughing Oh, and um, I'd love to ask about another TV show that you did do, which was the Paul Lynn show you did. Oh, yes, yes. And what was it like to work with that man, the great? Well, uh, we, I, I would say that we were friends. I remember him coming over to my house and having dinner, or I don't know what, what it was, and I had a little dog who happens to be a skipper key. I don't know if you know skipper keys, but they, they're little black fox-looking dogs who don't have a tail. Oh. And, and I remember Paul Lynn saying, your dog is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
it's my dog. <laughs> so, uh, I, but working on the Paul Inn show was, uh, you know, you learn the lines and you learn where to move and where to stand and you deliver them. And that's what you do. And another uh, show that you had many recurring roles in was Love American Style. Uh, uh, there wasn't recurring roles. Oh, they, I, I did lo several Love American Style. They were all different scripts, different storylines, oh. and different, you know. Well, have you seen uh, Love American Style? I, I don't think it's available. Um, oh, okay. Well, each uh, each story stands on its own. Oh. It's not... It, it, it's a series of stories, different stories, and uh, they were wonderful to do because uh, uh, they always had the, the best directors and costumes and everything, and interesting storylines. And do you think that doing Laugh-In sort of elevated you to another level of fame? And oh, definitely. Oh. Most, most definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, simply because the exposure... Yeah. is so enormous from television, as opposed to a nightclub in Greenwich Village. <laughs> yeah. And would you consider television or theater to be sort of your main love, if, if one of them is? Absolutely, absolutely. It's like, uh, it's, uh, which of your children do you love the most? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Each of them for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. And... You, when you were working on the Merv Griffin show, I'd be curious to ask you the same question about guest stars and which ones you most enjoyed working with or seeing. Okay, uh, who was Merv's sidekick, the Englishman? Um, oh, um, anyway, uh, I remember at that time I smoked, and a lot of people did on television on, on the talk shows. Then they would have a you know light up their cigarette, and there'd be an ashtray there. And I remember during a commercial break. Merv's sidekick turned to me and said, you know, you shouldn't, really shouldn't smoke on television. And from then on, I did not. I believe that was Arthur Treacher. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Arthur Treacher. Wonderful. And so you have been involved in um, movies and TV for a long time. And how do you feel that the industry has changed? Well, the industry and the product, uh, I feel, has changed in that uh, people uh, are really potty mouth now. Oh, yeah. A lot of potty mouth, where before it just wasn't done. Yeah. Yeah, even in, uh, especially in nightclubs, because when you were doing nightclubs, you were actually uh, polishing up your material for television, and it wasn't allowed on television, so you didn't do it in your clubs. But the business uh, part, uh, I, I'm driven from a different uh, angle. I don't think of it as the business part. Yeah. Just it's what I want to do, what I am doing, what I enjoy doing. And another one of your um, famous screen roles, although not in face, was Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yes. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast, and I, that is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh. Thank you. Thank you, Disney. And uh, as a matter of fact, now I'm getting in the mail a lot of, there's a new um, first edition, I guess you'd call it toy or artifacts, of the wardrobe oh. in a box, and I get a lot of those to sign oh. and send back. 
Yeah. And what do you find rewarding about doing voice work? Well, uh, what's rewarding about voice work is that uh, you don't have to, um, you know, put on makeup and uh, costume and everything. You just use your voice and you do the best you can uh, with the script that you have. And Beauty and the Beast is, has been very rewarding financially for me and uh, also in the uh, recognition department. Yes. Yeah. If that answers that question. Oh, yes, it does. And were you actually working with the other voice actors like Angela Lansbury? No, I was doing it oh. uh, with no one else there. Angela Lansbury was, uh, did her stuff in New York. I oh. did mine in uh, California. And um, after the success of Laugh-In, when did you decide to sort of go back to doing theater and go back to New York? Uh, it would have to do with a, a, an offer. By going back to New York, it would be if I had an offer to do a show. But I still, uh, you know, kept my house in California. And something, a, a great role of the theater you've done many times is Mama Rose, which we mentioned briefly. And uh -huh. how has that role sort of changed for you? Because I know you've done it over the span of many years. Yeah. Uh, I, when I first did it, the girl who played Gypsy Rose Lee was actually older than I was. And and so I always had the, you know, the right grit, I guess, for her. Uh, but I find as I aged, I actually knew what that meant and what was, I just knew more about what was going on with the script and the music and uh, became more... Uh, a part of me, as opposed to just doing what's, uh, you know, in the score and in the script. And the um, first time you did this was at the Kenley Players, which I'd, Correct. Be, I'd be curious to ask you about working there, because it was such a great sort of theater venue. And Yes, uh, I, uh, tell me where, you, where you're, what is 929? Where are you from? Where are you at? Oh, I live in Manhattan. On the upper oh, side. okay, okay. Uh, Kenley, you know John Kenley, was a registered hermaphrodite. During this summer, he was a man, and the rest of the year he was a woman, and he lived in Florida as opposed to Ohio. Yeah, the Kenley circuit was one of the first to. They would call it uh, stunt casting, where they would take uh, people who were mainly known for movies or television and put them into a role on the stage. And that's how I got, the first time I did uh, Gypsy was for, as you said, for John Kenley. And you've played so many of the great roles in theaters regionally like Gypsy, and is there one that you would have liked to do that you didn't get to do? Uh, no. Oh. No. <laughs> uh, the, kind of interesting, uh, there's a, the Pantages Theater here in Los Angeles. I played uh, the witch, of course, in The Wizard of Oz. Mickey Rooney was the wizard. And uh, I also did Wicked here, uh, playing the teacher, Wicked a Witch. So I was a witch both times here at the uh, Pantages. And is there one that posed sort of the biggest challenge, do you think, or was the hardest for you to sort of find as a character? Uh, 
no. I'm going to have to say no because uh, pretty much they wouldn't ask me to do it unless it was already in there, you know? Yeah. So I didn't wouldn't have to work hard to be, uh, you know, the teacher like in Greece, which I did, or the drowsy chaperone lady. It was just, uh, it, it, they wouldn't ask me to do it unless it was already there. Yeah. And so one of the shows that you started was made with Dorothy Lamar, and what was it like to be working with her and on that show? Well, uh, she played Vera, and I was Mame, and she, the, there's a song in there called The Man in the Moon is a Lady. But she did it because, you know, she was noted for wearing sarongs, and so The Man in the Moon was done with the you know, them all in sarongs. So it was a, a, a tip of the hat to her, you know, famous trademark. She was lovely. And uh, as a matter of fact, our houses here are not too too far away from each other. Oh, just a few blocks. You toured with the Pirates of Penzance with Barry Bostwick. And what was the challenge yes. like of doing Gilbert and Sullivan? No, I had to, told you I did Catasha uh, uh, on the Mikado. That's Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh. And uh, no, uh, the character that I played uh, was right up my alley. <laughs> and uh, I, I did the national company of that because the national company started in Los Angeles and then went to San Francisco. And I, I was able to say, I just want to do Los Angeles and San Francisco. Francisco, and then my understudy did the rest of the uh, tour oh. uh, because I was home, right? And of course, San Francisco is always wonderful to work. Uh, Barry Bostwick was uh, terrific, uh, just adorable. He's, he was such a key, a good singer, and um, I believe he wasn't used to doing theater. I'm sure not uh, nightclubs. He'd done lots of, lots of nightclubs. He wasn't used to doing theater, and I remember the first day of rehearsal, whoever was with him, his representatives, they were filling out the contracts for him, you know, because he probably was not used to do that. And I'm sure he did the signing of his name, but, you know, you have to fill out uh, the date and who your representation is and all that stuff. And he had uh, people do that for him, and I thought that that was uh, very quaint. And you were also working with uh, Wilford Leach and Graciela uh, Daniel. And what was your collaboration like with them? Uh, she has a charming accent, very charming. And um, Mr. Leach was uh, well, I, I, a genius. <laughs> Barry Bostwick played the, the uh, Pirate King in that uh, production with Barry Gibb. And another show you did um, many times was the female version of The Odd Couple. And so you, mm -hmm. you actually played both roles of Florence and Olive in different productions. And was there one that you enjoyed more? Or Well, uh, that's an interesting story. When The first time I did it, you might think, or people would assume that I'm playing the slob, which was uh, Olive, the Oscar character. And that's what I did the first time. And it was Neil Simon 
who said to me, Joanne, you should be playing the other role because that's the one where the comedy gold is in working with props, the neatnik. There were things, more things to do, and the, you know, the, the little health ticks that he had, this <laughs> everything, that there's more uh, comedy to be mined in the other role. So from then on, I always did uh, the other role, the neatnik. And do you believe that the play changed with two women versus two men? Uh, definitely changed, yeah. Uh, and because they made, instead of the poker game, it was, uh, what, I forget now, some other game that we play now, ladies would play. But the ladies get together, I know, and play poker. If it, he were writing that now, he probably would keep the poker game in there. But he... Um, did a, a good job on both of them. Yeah. And I'd love to ask about one of the actresses in particular who you did this with, which was the great Sandy Dennis. Oh, yeah. That was the first time I did it. She played the neat Nick. And I remember asking her, she's very good at crying. And uh, in the rehearsal, she was, you know, doing her crying. And I said during a break, I said, how do you do that? How do you cry? She said, I pull a nose out of my, a hair out of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> and she was kidding. She was kidding. She did it, uh, you know, internally. And what do you like about doing the um, occasional play rather than a musical? It really has to do with being offered it. Yeah. It's not, uh, it's not a, at the exclusion of one or the other, it was. It depends on what's 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 up, what's being mounted, what's being offered. And you also, I believe, worked on a musical called *The Beautiful Lady* with Elizabeth Suedos. Yes, at the Mark Taper Forum. Oh, and uh, her rehearsals are very interesting. Uh, a lot of um, improv exercises, and I, at one point. We were all supposed to, uh, it's about Russian poets who commit suicide. <laughs> Not exactly a funny play. And they end up um, stylistically sitting on chairs in a coffee house uh, on top of the table, the ones who have passed away. And I remember in rehearsal one time, we were uh, all crawling on the floor doing some kind of exercise. And when we were all supposed to be dead, all piled on top, all piled up on uh, in a pile oh. on the floor. Good. So your um, return to Broadway after this was in The Prince of Central Park. And what was it like to be starring on Broadway again after? Uh, let's see, Prince of Central Park. Uh, yeah, I got that. I was doing... Um, yeah, I'm living in Los Angeles out here, and I was doing MAME at the time when uh, they fired the actress who was doing that part and offered it to me. And I, of course, did not read, but it was on Broadway. I didn't read the script or anything. And I took the job, but I said, you have to wait until I'm out of MAME. I'll be out in two weeks. So they, uh, you know, continued uh, with the previews for it, and then I went to New York and rehearsed and, and opened with it. And uh, it was, uh, again, uh, there, it took place in Central Park, and it's essentially a relationship story between 
a mature woman and a young, uh, you would call him a homeless person now, who lived in Central Park, a teenager. And at one point, we're each singing our a duet, but across on one side of the stage and the other one on the other, and it was supposed to snow, which is a wonderful effect with Central Park and the bridge and everything. But it only snowed on my me. It just dumped <laughs> snow on me. His side got nothing. <laughs> That's what I remember about that show. And that show, uh, I believe, didn't run quite as long. Um, and what no. do you think that that was? No. No. It, as a matter of fact, one of the headlines of the review said, Joanne Worley trapped in Central Park. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. If that's a clue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... I do want to ask you about um, Richard H. Blake, who I believe was playing the teenager opposite you. Correct. Mm -hmm. oh, uh, well, because he had been doing it, you know, in previews all along, and they had to wait till I finished the MAME and got there and was rehearsed into the show. Uh, you know, it was very in intense oh. rehearsals for me. There wasn't a lot of... Uh, you is uh, how did you get started you know that's the, how's your mom and dad uh i remember he had a wonderful voice a wonderful voice um and was very nice but we didn't go shopping and i'm curious to ask you kind of a fun question have you ever had a mishap on stage that something go wrong oh absolutely oh. Uh, i i have had to I, I believe it was an odd couple where the actress playing the other part uh, skipped to the end of the act, and I had to bring it back to where you know we could do things oh. and you know tell the story. So it would have been a very short evening, um, but uh, that's a, a wonderful challenge. I call that gold when that happens, oh. and the audience sees what has happened, and then to play off of that without breaking the fourth wall, uh, to use it and get a, things back on track. That's uh, gold yeah. for the audience and the performers. And so the next thing you did was touring in Annie with um, Ron Young and Conrad John Chuck, among others. And mm -hmm. so what was it like to be doing a show with many child actors? Uh, um, I find I get a lot of presents from the mothers. Oh. The mothers are very generous, <laughs> and uh, and and the the children in show business are very disciplined. It's not like uh, you know they're bratty kids or anything. No, they're 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 serious performers, and uh, they are taught well, and they're they have an adult travel with them, so and uh, and that the adults are probably garnering favor by giving presents to the cast members. <laughs> and do you find that when you do tours, they're usually pretty close to the Broadway productions? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if it's working, why, why change it? <laughs> yeah. Do what works. Yeah. I, you know, add some of my own stuff, like when I do uh, Little Girls, that song, uh, I, I had a doll, my own doll, that I could tear apart, tear the arms oh. off and the legs off and the head, and I would juggle them. And I know that's not in the original, <laughs> but that made made me happy. Oh, yes, that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> um, 
So you took on other Sondheim roles, uh, twice more in Into the Woods and in Follies. And so Into the Woods, I believe, was first, where you played the witch. And so what was it like to do this very difficult role? Um, okay, um, interesting. Uh, when I did it, I can't think where it was, but uh, they had a lot of plastic greenery because we're in the woods, oh. right? And the witch makes her first transformation entrance, there's a flash pot that goes off and then, ta-da, you appear. And I had a, a goblet, my own goblet that I brought from home made out of pewter with a magic potion in it. And uh, I got into position for the thing to go off. And all of a sudden, this plastic greenery was on fire. Oh. I took my goblet and it was pewter, and turned it upside down, and put out the fire. Yeah, and we were in a very old theater. It was uh, that that I specifically remember happening. But uh, achieving the you know the witches stuff and the witches songs and stuff like that that's uh, that's in my toolbox. And did you have any interaction with Sondheim himself from doing these roles? I had to get permission from him to do. I think I did, uh, in my nightclub act, I, I did The Boy from Takarimba, La Tumba del Fuego. Oh. I, and I had to get permission from him or his office to do that, which was, you know, him. Uh, not really interaction. I mean, he didn't, uh, I know he saw the show, but oh. um, I'm not aware of, you know, him coming into the dressing rooms. Yeah. And the other... Uh show you did was Follies at Encores, and so what was it like to be working there with so many other veterans like Mimi Hines and mm, Wonderful. Right. Just wonderful. What a, oh. what a pleasure. What a joy. And the director, uh, Casey, uh, he told the casting people, he said, I don't care what part she plays, but I want Joanne Worley in it. Oh. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure within range, I think it was like either Broadway Babies or the part that I did do. Oh, yes. Yeah. And what did you enjoy about that part in doing Who's That Woman as your? Uh, Because, uh, and I said, you know, I'm not really a, a tap dancer. And he said, don't worry, I'll take care of that. And he did. And it looked as though I was a great tap tap dancer. It, uh, you know, you, they're little what things that I do know. And uh, then for the, you know, the tough stuff, the, um, the younger version of us would take over and do the heavy lifting. And I'm curious to know what has inspired you to stay in the business for so long? From... It's what I do. Are, would you still want to do another movie or show or? Depending you... on what it is. Yeah. Uh, what I'm not going to do is play the grandmothers or, you know, that stuff that people say, oh, you, you can do that. I know, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I don't see there are people who do that much better than me. Get them. Yeah. And it's wonderful to, because when you start out, you have to do everything, anything, right? Yeah. But uh, when you can get to a place where you can definitely pick and choose... That's much better. <laughs> yes. And so I don't want to keep you for uh, too long, but I would love to ask you about two more shows, which are okay. 
the uh, two other Broadway shows that we didn't get to yet. Mm -hmm. So the first of those is Grease. And how did this happen that you came into this? Ah, you know, that's been a while. I don't really remember. Uh, but uh, it might have been when I was in New York. I know I saw it, and I believe it was Sally Struthers was playing oh. the teacher, and I knew Sally, and uh, she might have said something. You know, I, I really don't know. I really don't know, but I... It, it was wonderful playing uh, in Greece, oh. in the in that theater, and you know they're supposed to be ghosts. Oh, I didn't know that. And the I remember one time during a, a break, probably between a matinee and evening performance, some of the guys in the show were going to go up to where the ghosts are, and there was uh, what's his name Belasco's apartment up there that he used, and I said I want to go. <laughs> So we snuck up the stairs to there, and there were, evidently was someone else had done it too, and they screamed at us as we got at the, well, you know, our hearts left our chest, so we thought we would, it was the ghost. <laughs> oh, I didn't do it again. I didn't oh. do it again. <laughs> and when you do um, replace in a show, do you find that you have to do much of the work on your own, or... Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're oh. very uh, carefully rehearsed. Uh, you're blocking and your songs and everything. But your job before you hit those rehearsals is to have it all memorized. So you don't have to, you know, be carrying a script or be stumbling over things. You carry a script to write down your blocking and everything. But then it's your job to get rid of that as soon as possible because the, the oh no, you're carefully rehearsed into it. As I said before, that they, you don't want to throw anybody else in the show, yeah. do anything different than what they're used to, or be in a different place on stage. And do you find that there is a difference in the sort of younger actors and dancers from? Yes, and the main one is, oh, some are older and some are younger. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the main difference that I've noticed. <laughs> No, I, I'm afraid I'm, I've not uh, experienced that other than, you know, individual personalities that people have. I don't think uh, there's any lack of uh, uh, discipline. I think it's uh, if you're, you're in this business, you learn to be disciplined or you're not in the business. And your discipline includes being responsible for learning what you're supposed to be doing. And so I'd love to um, finally ask you about the Drowsy Chaperone. And did this happen because of Casey Nicola, because of Follies? Absolutely. Oh. Oh. And what did you enjoy about doing this show, which is, of course, a great show? Yeah. Uh, I was more Margaret Dumont <laughs> character rather than Billy Burke. And uh, because of my natural body and my vocal quality and uh, my rhythm and that was a, a justifiable uh, difference because you know it's all based on old movies yeah. or stage shows yeah and so Margaret Dumont was oh <laughs> the grand dame yes. as opposed to Billy Burke who is flighty and light and that's not me and I'd love to ask about um 
your actually your collaboration with Casey Nicolon, what it's like to work with him? Oh, yes. Uh, actually, I saw him on Broadway uh, in a role d dancing. Oh, I can't think of it now. In a show, you know, he was a, a he's a performer. Yeah. He's a performer who became a choreographer and director. And because of that background, that's why I'm sure he's so good, so knowledgeable, and so so able to empathize with the performers yeah. and get what he requires for the script. And also, you uh, collaborated closely with Peter Bartlett. Who was another great actor yeah. who was playing your Yeah. Uh -huh. So talented. So oh. tender. We had such fun. And then in that show, there are spit takes oh. where, where you have to spit, uh, obviously, water into the face of someone else because you're so surprised at something. And uh, I had to spit on him <laughs> oh, <laughs> eight geez. times a week. <laughs> over and over but he was used to it <laughs> because that's what uh, his role he, he, he is the definitive uh, uh, stuffy butler oh yes he's yeah. perfection and so to take us up to the uh, present day what has this uh, period of quarantine been like for you I have been doing a lot of reading oh. of books that I have not that I've had on my shelves that I've not been able to get to. And in front of me right now is Billy Crystal's book, Still Fooling Him. And um, I have here uh, The Daily Show, The John Daly Show, The Phyllis Diller book. And um, I have a book that somebody just gave me called Broadway because they evidently thought it was about Broadway, but it's actually about architecture oh. along Broadway. All the big, wonderful buildings that were there, some are still there and aren't there. It's very interesting. Oh. So that's what I've been doing. I have been offered uh, to do some um, Zooming stuff. I find there's no way to look good on those. Oh. And the so little square. <laughs> yeah. And so my very last question for you is, um, after such a long and legendary career, what is some advice you would give to somebody just starting out? Put one foot in front of the other and get out of your hometown, unless it's New York or Los Angeles. <laughs> and, and, uh, and keep on going. Persevere. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a great honor to talk to you. Well, you're very well prepared, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I am joined for a brief conversation by one of Broadway's best living directors, the great James Lapine. James Lapine has shepherded countless great shows to Broadway, including Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Falsettos, Act One, Dirty Blonde, The Revival of Annie, Passion, Golden Child, and most recently, flying over sunset. It was a great thrill to be able to speak to him, and everything he says is pure theatrical wisdom, so make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.